Hey, welcome back to another episode of the Ruby Rogues podcast. This week on our panel, we have Valentino Stoll. Hey, now. I'm Charles Maxwood from Top End Devs. And this week, we have a special guest, and that is John Nunemaker. John, you want to tell everybody who you are? We haven't had you on for a while. Yeah, I'm John, and coming to you from snowy South Bend, Indiana, and uh, have a whole bunch of open source gems, HTTP party, Flipper, and working on a commercial thing for that. And then uh, also have Box Out Sports, which is uh, social media graphics for sports and high schools and colleges and stuff like that. Oh, cool. Huh. I might have to get you on for something else. I've been dreaming of starting a show where I talk to developers who are entrepreneurs. Oh, cool. Yeah, I would totally be. I just went on um, uh, Indie Rails like uh, maybe a month ago or something like that. Uh-huh. Um, we talked a lot about some of that stuff. Uh, so you could listen to that and see if if I was interesting enough for the other one. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I got I got a couple things going on. So, yep. Well, I've made enough mistakes to where it's like I wish I'd been talking to people <laughs> because somebody will be like, "Oh yeah, I learned early not to do that," <laughs> and I'm like, "No, I went all the way down that road." And <laughs> <laughs> it's a dead end anyway yep um yeah a dead end with a cliff anyway so um yeah we, we brought you on to talk about flipper and uh to be honest i don't think we've talked about feature flags in a really really long time and it's how do i put it it's one of those things where i've seen people turn it into kind of a maintenance nightmare on its own mm-hmm. but mostly if people are using it right, it it makes things really easy to kind of isolate the stuff that you aren't ready to have people using yet. So maybe I should turn it over to you and then you can uh, say intelligent things about what feature flags are because I'm <laughs> rambling. And then um, we can dive in and talk about the ins and outs of how you may or may not want to use it. And then we can get into what Flipper is and why it's different from maybe some of the other ones like LaunchDarkly or whatever. Yeah, sure. I, I mean, for me, it's just like I, I joke that they're just like if statements in the cloud. It's mm-hmm. just like a way to, you know, a lot of times your stuff is determined at boot time. So your process boots, and that's, you know, it's based on an env, you know, variable, or it's based on a credentials file, or it's based on a YAML file, and like you can't change anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, so instead, feature flags, like for me, they're just something I can change at runtime. So it's like the app's already running, but something has changed and I need to I need to like control that in some fashion. So that's like really like how I think of them is just like they're like an if statement that you can just anytime you want from your phone at dinner, you can turn something off or turn something on. You know, I can be sitting in the line at pickup at school to get my kids because uh, they don't they don't have a bus at their school. And I can be sitting there and you know, one of my coworkers will be like, Hey, can you turn this on for this org? you know, I box out and I'm like, yep. And I just turn it on right there. And I don't have to, I just pop up my iPhone and I'm done. Um, so it just gives you control over some of the, that kind of stuff. I saw you take a breath. What, what you got? Well, the way, that, how do I put this? So, so I've used some of the ones that are kind of SaaS products, right? So you pay for sure. the product and then you put the gem into your thing and then, mm-hmm. and then you can toggle it from the web thing. Um, I've only had like one client ever use it. The the other clients that have used feature flags, the way that they do it is they have some nasty YAML file in their okay. app that turns the uh, turns the features on and off. 
Yeah. So if you want to turn a feature flag on, you have to deploy. Gotcha. D- does that not count? <laughs> I, I I mean, it to me it doesn't. Like if you can't change it at runtime, that's that's the power. That is a better step. It's a better step than nothing to to just change. And okay. then you get some version history. You get some other things. So like, there's nothing wrong with a file. But to me, like, you should be able to change. I mean, worst case scenario, you could do that from your phone. You could, you know, go into GitHub or where GitLab, whatever, edit the file, change it, make a pull request, and hopefully there's like some automated process yeah, from pull request to deploy. Or, yeah. And so like th- that's possible still. But to me, like, I, I just feel like. Being able to do it at runtime is the thing that just like the control and the power. Um, I mean, it went straight to my head. I just I loved it. So and and for for me originally, so like when I started using them, I think it was two thousand eight or nine. I was working on um, Words with Friends, the little like uh-huh. Scrabble like game. And I mean, it was little then, but then it was massive. It's the, still to this day the only thing that like I've done that my mom is like you know very. She's like. Yeah, like uh, my son helped with that. She still plays today. I think only because that's her only chance to use code of mine. Like she's not going to flip features. <laughs> she's not going to do anything else. So like she's still probably like you know longest tenured player on there. But um, we were trying to like roll out. It, I joke for a while. Like I just wrote caching code. That's it. And so like a lot of it was just like, okay, like we're having this new you know amount of usage. We have to somehow like alleviate you know database strain. Because we grew from like 70,000 requests a minute to like a million in like a year or two. They launched on Facebook. They launched all over the place. And so it was like, how can we you know, populate this new cache uh-huh. slowly? Because we would deploy and the site would go down until, until enough of the cache got warm. I mean, it was on repeat. It was embarrassingly bad. And so one of the guys I was working with was like, hey, what about this rollout gem? Like, This looks kind of cool and interesting. And so I was like, okay, yeah, let's check it out. So we hooked it up and it talked to Redis at the time and that was pretty much it. And so, which was fine. And so we got it working and then I rolled out my new caching code behind, you know, dollar rollout as a global variable was the only thing they recommended, you know, dot activate, whatever. I don't even remember the API. And I got it working and we rolled out our code without any outage. And we were like, okay, this is the future. Like we're, and we're in it early. So let's do this. And then the only problem with that is like over time we had terabytes of memcache and you know terabytes of MySQL, but we had this these tiny little you know Redis instances, and they just mm-hmm. couldn't handle the beating of of constantly checking all the flags and stuff. And we were like, okay, so then we fronted Redis with memcache because we just had more infrastructure there, mm-hmm. um, which is funny, but it worked. And we were we had, to, we had to fork rollout in order to like put memcache in front of Redis. And it was like, okay, this is this doesn't feel right. And so I was like, I don't like the API, like the interface of of how to use rollout really. Uh-huh. And I think there's a like a way that makes a little more sense. And then I also like I wanted to build it on like the adapter pattern. I had just read like um, patterns in Ruby or something like that. Um, uh-huh. And I was like, okay, I want to build it on the adapter pattern and and go from there. So I did that just on the for fun on the weekend um, while I was working at. This was later. This is while I was working at GitHub. So. It's probably like 2013, 14, something like that. Um, and then it was it was kind of cool. And so I used it uh, just for fun. You know, I built it and stuff like that. And then other people were started using it and started submitting issues and pull requests and all that kind of stuff. But like GitHub didn't, I didn't. So like for the first year or two, I didn't, didn't at all. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's kind of like... It started as just like this, I had to have something. I couldn't 
literally could not deploy the new caching code without bringing down the entire site. And so it was like, that was the, 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 like what got me started on it. And then from there, it's just like, you know, you use a tool more and more and every developer has this like complex where they think they can do it better and it's better to start over than to try and hack on the other persons. And so that's kind of where it went down that road. I gotcha. I, wh- where I fall into that trap is a lot of times I'll look at the other person's code and realize that I have to basically work through it enough to build my mental map for it. It's yep. not necessarily that I could or couldn't do it better. It's just really hard for me to pick it up. And if I build Agreed. it from scratch, then I can see the pieces. But yeah. And that's a common theme with me. Like I feel like I I rebuilt I built like a toy store, which was like a an ORM on top of like uh the adapter pattern because uh-huh. at that time at Words of Friends we were like we had MySQL basically fronted with Memcache. So it was almost everything was living in Memcache. If we hit MySQL, it was not a good thing. And then, you know, we also had like we wanted to try React back in the day and we wanted to try all these other. So we, uh-huh. we built this adapter style, you know, ORM. And and I was basically doing like what you're saying. It was like, well, I'm not gonna hack Active Record. That doesn't make sense. But also, in order to learn how it works, rebuilding it was like the easiest way. Right. Um, I have this really old talk that I did that was like, don't repeat yourself, repeat others. Um, it's just oh, like a play on on dry. It's like just steal, you know, steal from other other people who have built this stuff before. Data mapper was a big inspiration. I stole a lot of stuff from that back then to learn. Um, yeah. So it's a it's a good I think it's that's a good point that it's not just like you said, it's not just about um some of it is is pulling it, rewriting it helps with the mental model and it's easier to understand than to go into somebody else's mental model and figure out what they're doing. Yep. Yeah, you know, it's funny. Uh, I work at Doximity and we've recently just adopted Flipper as like our go-to feature flag. And we, oh, that's awesome. we've done this. We've done this from rollout, which was like our monolith. Oh, cool. You know, one. Uh, and we did it because, you know, it's easier to understand just one implementation of a future flag. <laughs> yeah. And so if we adopt one yeah. thing and then you, you know, just say, okay, everybody that, you know, you need a feature flag, whether or not you're using this one over here in this application, it's the same thing implemented over in your application. So you can get up to speed quick, right? Yep. Exactly. All the operations are the same, like normalize it. And yep. it, it, it has been really great, like getting to Flipper, you know, uh, because you do like, <laughs> I, I know I've implemented feature flags, you know, a million different times, <laughs> all different ways. And like, yeah. they all have their, you know, own advantages or disadvantages. And you're like, yep. you know, how do you keep track of what's the better one over time? <laughs> yeah, it's I, I tough. I feel like it changes. Uh, so, I mean, I, I'm curious, like, uh, I did notice Flipper, like, changing to like Flipper Cloud, like, over time. Like, mm-hmm. what happened with that? Like, what... <laughs> What is what is Flipper Cloud? You know, let's start there. Yeah. Well, so like I was at GitHub and I'm a big fan of small companies. First off, it's really cool that you use Flipper. I, I that's like Flipper's my favorite gem that I've ever built. And so like whenever I hear people use it, I just I get really excited. That's like the number one thing I do on every issue and pull requests is I'm just like, also, could you just tell me anything about how you use it or any kind of feedback? Like I just I love getting and feedback on on it and stuff like that. So I'll I'll probably have more questions for you later. But um, how it started was just like I was at GitHub and I was like, I just knew it was, it was going to be time to go. I don't know, it was 2015, 16, 17, probably 17. 
Um, it's so long ago now. I can't believe that was seven or eight years ago, but it is. And um, I was like, okay, well, if I'm going to branch out, I don't want to just go out cold. So what what can I like step out onto? And I thought, well, maybe at that time, Sidekick was blowing up. And I was like, well, if Sidekick, you know, and Mike can do it, then maybe I can do it. So what, you know, and then, so I looked at my gems and like, HTTP party was the most popular. And I'm like, I don't think there's a business model on making HTTP requests. <laughs> like, I, I don't, I don't see that. So I was like, what, uh, what else? And I'm looking and looking, I'm like, maybe feature flags. Like there's a ton of stuff that GitHub built around Flipper once they started using it. Um, Cause they used it maybe 2015 or 16, but it existed for two years before that and had probably, I don't know, 500 or a thousand stars before GitHub even oh, used nice. it. And so it kind of like uh, a couple people there just integrated it. And then we started, you know, they built a UI audit logging, um, easy enable, all this kind of stuff. And so I was looking at like, okay, well, if GitHub has all these tools around it. Maybe there's other tools I could build around it on the commercial side. And then that could be like a thing that I would stop doing GitHub and start doing that over time. I've always done side projects and side projects were always like, you know, the, the kind of way to like, Make a little bit extra and in and, and do something until at some point you're like, okay, you know, this is the thing that I do now. And at GitHub, like I didn't do that for like a long time. I just disappeared into the dark corners of you know that app and working on it and trying to you know improve it and stuff like that. So I was like, okay, this is a path. Maybe I can do that. And like literally, like right after that launch, Darkly got like eight or ten million in funding. Like it was, it was like oh. the <laughs> next week, and I was like. Whoa, okay. Like this is must be a real thing. Like this mm-hmm. is possible. Um, so like the next thing was like, okay, well, like how what should I do? You know, I'm thinking like, how can I build it so that um like I was on the availability, the resilience, the core team, like all these teams at GitHub that were like, how do you keep the lights on? And I'm like, a network connection to an outside service for a conditional that could be called a thousand times on a web page load is not the definition of availability. So I'm like, how do you separate those two? So that was kind of like the first thing I was thinking on. And at that time, uh, there was a guy, Alex, who was starting to like kind of pick at Flipper a little bit. And he was like, what, what's something I could work on? And I was like, how about an API? Let's just build like an HTTP API and just see what happens. So he started hacking on that. And I we just kind of went back and forth and we meshed well. And so he kind of built an API. He built a client. I you know provided feedback and changes and stuff. And got something kind of cool at the end. But again, I'm like, nobody's going to use this. You're not, you don't want to like make HTTP requests every time you do an if or even just like once per request. Or So I'm like, how can you kind of isolate that very hot read path of like flipper.enabled? Because I'm looking at GitHub. GitHub does billions of, of... When I left, they did billions of feature flag checks a day. So that's wow. not going to work. So I'm like, what, what's something that could work? And that's when I started thinking about like, well, if you had, again, you're the adapter pattern. So the adapter pattern means you just have an interface. Let's just simplify it and say it's like get a feature, you know, save a feature and delete a feature or something like that. And so save a feature might, you know, mean saving like the different enablements or all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, if you have get, you know, get, set and delete, basically, um, you can kind of do all of that. There's more to it, but that's the basic point. And I was like, if you have that, then you have this this interface and it allows you to control when the HTTP requests happen. And so I was like, you know, LaunchDarkly did like in-memory and it was like a streaming thing. So like you have a, a connection. And now they, at some point, you know, that wasn't enough because, you know, people try to boot, they're down. Now their customers are down. 
Um, so obviously, they have solidified all those things. They have proxies that sit all over the place that you can run inside of your infrastructure. And the, you talk to the proxies, the proxies talk to them. They have all kinds of different stuff to try and increase availability and resiliency. And, and local caches, they, they can cache in Redis and uh, DynamoDB and all that kind of stuff. Um, and, but I was like, well, I already have the adapter pattern. I already have local storage. So all I need is I just need a way to like say, s- send the reads here and send the writes here to a different place. And so that's how Flipper Cloud kind of came about. I was like, okay, I've got an API. I can mount it in a Rails app. I've got uh, a client that I can, that can talk to it, that API. So all I need is an adapter that I think I started with it. And it's still probably the one that's in there. It's called dual write. And so there's like, it's kind of like single read dual write. So, and that adapter takes a local adapter. So Redis, Memcache, ActiveRecord, whatever you want to store it in, any configuration of that, then it does all the reads there. So if you say flipper.enabled, you know, some feature, the reads go there. And if you say, uh, and again, this is all the technical side of it, like the business Mm -hmm. side, there's a a lot more there, you know, I can go into as well. But like, that's kind of how it started. And then the issue was like, oh, like, but we don't want to make HTTP requests. And I was like, I don't know how to write background threaded code. I don't don't feel confident doing that. So I'm like, "Uh, we'll, we'll do webhooks for updates. So we did webhooks. And then at some point, I was like, this is Nobody wants to do webhooks like they, some once in a while just to speed it up, you know. But the biggest thing is people just want to slap it in, do an M variable and be done and not have it ever bring them down. And so I was like, all right, I'm going to learn this stuff. So I read uh, like uh, the really old Working with Threads book from uh, Jesse maybe Stormer or something. Uh, it's a great book. I read that you know several times. I read a bunch of code and just wrote like a real simple background threaded polar. Um, and at that and from then on, we've had. You know, basically, no no issues on the on the technical side, availability wise. If we go down, it doesn't even matter. People can their apps are still up. They don't even they're not even aware. We don't even get complaints, um, which is kind of cool. So how it came about was basically like I want to leave. I, I was I saw the writing on the wall. I was going to leave GitHub. What do I want to leave to? So I was planning on that, and then Microsoft came in and bought them. And so I was like, okay, well, I'll just leave now. And in, instead, I ended up joining uh, Box Out, and so I did a lot of Box Out. We used it there, but we kind of didn't didn't uh, really push it forward or work on it. We didn't add billing. We didn't let people sign up. It was just kind of us using it. And then maybe a year or two ago, we we're like, "Ah, eh, let's throw some billing on it," and we did. And you know, a few people signed up. And then we were like, "Okay," like uh, maybe six months ago, a year ago, we we're like, "Let's take this serious." So, so that's kind of like the does that answer the question? Of kind of like of like here's like the very beginnings, and then here's like how can we make it work. And then over that time, I mean, LaunchDarkly has taken half a mil- half a billion, I think, in funding. They're on like Series E or F, and they're just massive. So um, that's also a habit of mine is taking on <laughs> massive companies. Not not taking them on. Well, I'm not I'm not making a dent, but shows the markets there. So yeah, well, the thing is, is that if LaunchDarkly can take on that kind of funding and they can make the kind of money that the investors are happy to invest yep. in a company that makes right if you're if you're taking a little scoop out of the side yeah still exactly millions of dollars so yep. that's the goal you know yeah so it's not right know, now. it makes sense yeah well and then you can <laughs> you can become a specialized case where it's like dang this just kills it for rails apps right and so then 100%. people are looking at launch darkly may go you know if i was building this in go then maybe i'd use launch darkly but this this fits so seamlessly into what i do that you know, I'm gonna, anyway, there, there are a lot of business cases for that. Um, <clears throat> what I'm kind of curious about is how do I use 
feature flags in a way that doesn't suck, right? Yep. Because the the problems that I've run into are they get littered throughout all the code and they never get removed. And uh, sometimes I have like, you know, more than five. And so then I can't remember them all. (laughs) Yep. Yeah, I I can definitely go into that. So that's, that is exactly, I think the number one problem with feature flags is removal uh, or lack of removal. Um, at least from from what we've seen. So that's like the every customer that I that I I've been talking with. They're like, how can you help me remove them? So that's what we've been working on um, a lot the last six months, and that's part of the reason why now I'm rel- I mean, I'm confident enough to know in in you know multi-threaded, background threaded, and all that kind of stuff. Now I'm confident to know that like I probably did something wrong, and it someday it will cause a problem, and I'll never be able to figure out what the problem was, but then it'll go away magically, like that kind of thing. But I generally know how to write that stuff, and so what? Like, we basically wrote like this entire uh, telemetry system to like, because like with cloud again, we're disconnected, and this is the long way to answer your question. So it's going to mm-hmm. feel like where is he going with this? It makes no sense. But to me, like the 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 way to solve that question, which is you got you got a couple problems. So one is you have a ton of flags, you add them, and then you just forget to take them out because. You know, ideally, especially with Flipper or other ones, there's a low performance penalty of using them. Um, and it, on top of that, even when you're ready to take them out or you want to take them out, you're not sure if you should or not. They've become almost like like a database table, like where you feel nervous when you hit the delete button on it. You know, you're like, uh, do I? Are we sure that reads are zero? Let's rename it first. Let's you know, let's right. see if like it really isn't getting any. No errors. Okay, now we delete it. Eh, let's back it up to S3. You know, like where you you really <laughs> carefully step through that process. Then I think a flag is the same way, where you're like, okay, it's fully enabled. Like, can we remove it? Uh, probably. It's not fully enabled. It's partially enabled. Can we remove it? I don't know. Should, why isn't it fully enabled? Who even owns this? Like, who do we need to talk to to figure out who should enable this? And those kinds of things. So, what we did is we're like. Building all of that, the adapter pattern for all of that stuff of like what happened, when did it happen, who did it, uh, how do you roll back, who has access to it, um, has it been used in which environments, and how often, and was it true or false, and what percentage, and like adapting all of those kinds of things. I was like, I do not have it in me to maintain a project that adapts all that. What I do have is the ability to adapt. You know, a small like data structure, like the feature flags of who's enabled, who isn't, which flags are on, off, et cetera, like that, and then build it once in cloud. And so that's kind of like the driver for cloud is that I can build, you know, telemetry once in cloud. I can build audit logging once in cloud. I can build permissions and control and access once in cloud. And I don't have to keep rebuilding that for like on top of Redis, on top of MySQL, on top of Postgres, on top of whatever you can imagine. Um, and also making it so that it works with caching and so it's fast. And like I was like, that that doesn't sound fun. So what we decided is like, look, we need a way to show uh, in order to act to answer the question of can I remove a flag or not, or what flags maybe should be removed or are ready for removal, you need metrics. You need more than just mm-hmm. like the state of the feature. And because we are completely disconnected from your application, we don't have the state. We don't know every right. time you call flipper.enabled. So I was like, that's what we need to build. So uh, like probably October, November, um, I basically built... uh, I had built it like a year ago, but as like all the raw data. 
and shipping it all up to cloud in batches of events. And it was just like so much raw data. I mean, think about again, like GitHub, billions of, of like events in a day. I don't want to deal with that. So I was like, what do I need? What I need is what was the environment? What was the feature flag? Uh, what was like, maybe let's just say like the minute, you know, like if you know it was used in the last minute, that's plenty of like resolution. And then like, how many times was it true and how many times was it false? Like, let's just start with that because that is, you know, probably, I don't know how many orders of magnitude less data per day. Cause I mean, if you have a hundred, hundred feature flags and they get checked every minute of a day and, you know, there's 24 times, um, 60, you know, whatever you're looking at, like in the tens of thousands or something, if uh, my quick, you know, nervous podcast math was correct, um, <laughs> then, you know, you're in that kind of range of rows per per like application per day. And I'm like, that's a very doable thing. And then you can aggregate those higher. So I was like, let's start with that. So that's kind of what we built is basically this thing that stores all that. And then on an interval, it ships it up to cloud. And then cloud gets it, crunches it, shows it in graphs, and then integrate it integrates in a few different spots. So like when you go to delete a flag, um, it says, you know, I can, I'll send you screenshots and stuff later. Um, but it'll basically say like, okay, this flag is fully enabled. And it was last changed six months ago. So you're like, uh-huh. okay, like it's been around for a while and it's turned on. John did it. John enabled it. And John is listed as the owner. So like, okay, John's the person we should talk to about this. And then right below that, it's like, when was it last checked in production? And it was last checked in production, you know, 15 days ago. And you're like, okay, now I know. Like, and if you look at like the longer term history, um, we just show you kind of like a quick overview like that. But you can look at the longer term and say, like, does it get checked once every 15 days? And so that's why it was 15 days ago. Or like, was it at like a thousand, you know, a, a second and then it went to zero 15 days ago because we removed it from the code? So it's all the way out of the code, it's gone. You know, it's safe to delete. So we've started integrating some of that analytics into the, like edit. So if you're going to edit and uh-huh. you're going to change the key, we're not going to let you change the key if we're seeing checks for this in production. That doesn't seem like a good, safe thing for you to do. Because if you change it from search to new search and you were enabled, then now it's, you know, search and the code is going to come up disabled right. because that's not going to exist. Um, so stuff like that, I think, is is how you add the safety around like the biggest thing reason that I think they hang around is because nobody's really sure when it's okay to remove them. So what we're trying to do is first build the tracking and build the ownership and organization around feature flags. So we have tagging, we have, uh, you can literally say these, this one person or these five people own this flag. So you know who to ask questions about. And then the metrics in production, in staging on local laptops, like, are, is it being used and checked? Is it always true? Is it sometimes not true? So that you have the confidence to know. And then over time, we can build the heuristics to say, this is like, we can just suggest like, this is one you can remove. Like it hasn't been checked in production in two weeks and it's fully enabled and it hasn't been touched in you know three months or you just set an expire on it. Like I want this to, you know, in... Two months remind me to remove this um, stuff like that. I think is what what we're building in so that it's it's more obvious of when to get that cleanup because otherwise it does just sit around. So that's the really long winded. Yeah. Sorry, I'm a talker. No, it's all good. So you you're talking about this. It sounds like kind of in the future. So is this not something that's available right now? 
So this all exists and it's available. Um, analytics are in beta. So right now I have a comment. This is my favorite comment ever in all of my gems, but I have have a comment that's like, um, this is an alpha. Do not enable it unless you're me and you're not me. <laughs> like, I don't know why, but it cracks me up every time. So it's uh, we have a few customers that are testing it and we have it on for all of our apps. So we have five or six uh, of our own apps and then a couple of customer apps that are testing it out right now. And anybody that like came to me and was like, oh, I want to use this right now. This sounds amazing. Um, that's an easy thing for us to, to turn on for them. The, anal- the, the sides that exist, tagging, organization, that's all there. So you can... like We do things like um, circuit. So like circuit is a tag. Um, so it's like... It's like a kind of just organic way to say like what is the kind of long-term permanence or lack of permanence for this, you know, feature flag. So it's like it's temporary, it's just, you know, used for rollout or it's uh, you know, circuit, so it's like turning something on or off or switching, you know, from like email provider A to email provider B. Um, or, you know, we'll have like work in progress is like one that's, you know, maybe not into production yet, it's just being worked on locally. Um, so all that stuff exists. Uh, ownership exists. You know, you can say like this, John owns this or somebody else owns this, you know, permissions, all that stuff exists. You can say like Charles, Valentino and John can edit this in production, but nobody else can. Anyone can edit it in staging. Anyone can edit it in their personal environments. Um, that kind of stuff all exists. It's just the analytics that's brand new. And so, and the, and the, the touch points where we put those in so that you can feel confident that deleting this is not going to cause problems. Right. Um, I guess the other question is, because um, you're talking about some of this being enabled in the cloud, um, I think I saw that there was an engine in Flipper that yeah. gives you UI. And is, is that where I would just get on my phone and browse to topendevs.com slash flags and yep. toggle you stuff could on? Definitely do that. That's the way most people use it to date. Um, or they'll, you know, park it on some, you know, hidden domain that, you know, a lot, a lot of companies will have like bigger companies will have like, you know, .com is their, their main domain. And then they'll put other stuff on like .net or .dev mm-hmm. just to like security through obscurity and, and they can lock down, you know, firewalls right. or whatever, all that kind of stuff to, to limit access to those things. But yeah, you can just, you know, Flipper UI will mount and you can use it that way. Um, Flipper UI is like a, a more basic version. So it's like just enable, disable, all that kind of stuff. So just the basics. It's existed, you know, from maybe year two or year one. It's a rack middleware that just uh, goes uh-huh. in. It has a funky routing system I wrote myself and action classes and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, and then cloud, it, you know, is like the, like the next one up from that. There's a free tier in cloud where you get all the same things as uh, Flipper UI, but in a nicer UI. Um, and then Cloud Pro is like the the tier up where you get uh, audit history, rollbacks, permissions, uh, analytics, all that kind of stuff. So but we figured like we already have like a free open source product. So why not have a free tier on the cloud one too? So that at least then we know who we're talking to and who's yeah. using it. Because like that's the hardest thing with open source is like if you don't go to conferences, you don't know any like or you don't occasionally you'll get an issue filed but like you don't know who's using anything. Um, like I had no idea, you know, Doximity and Valentino. Like I, I don't know that because um, you don't install it and say, "Hey, John, by the way, I installed your gem." Like I just get no mm-hmm. feedback. So we were like, "How can we get some feedback? Let's just add a free tier." And then people get multi-environment sync, you know. So like, I don't know if you've ran into this at Doximity, but it's like 
you enable a flag in production, um, you know, for a couple of actors or something like that. And then like you have a, a few of you that are working on it locally, but people are like, well, which flag do I enable? You know, is it enabled? Why doesn't the app work locally the same as in production? And like we, that happened a lot at GitHub. So we had like rake tasks and seed tasks and defaults and all this mm-hmm. kind of stuff to like make the app when you bootstrap it locally kind of work like production. We were like, that stinks. Like, so instead we built like multi-environments. So we built production and then everything inherits from that. So anything you do in prod trickles down to everything else unless you explicitly override it. And then whenever you're ready, you can like mirror it back. So a lot of times I do stuff like I'll have like a Google Analytics flat. So if I want to turn that off, it's just enable or disable. And that wraps around the, the JavaScript that's on the page. And then that's enabled in production, but it's disabled on staging. It's disabled in my personal environment um, because I don't, I don't need to track those analytics there. And sure, you can do those client side, but we just tend to throw a flag at it now. So stuff like that. Yeah, I don't think we've run into the uh, environment specific issue yet. <laughs> oh, cool. That's Is good. It- yeah, I mean, so far, kind of just been, uh, you know, playing with the minimal features and building on top of that. But we, yeah, that is on our agenda because, <laughs> yeah, that's a common issue. Yeah. And it, like, you know, even like you said, the engine and stuff like that, like most of the engine stuff is like, is just for con- automatic configuration. Like, uh, Brandon Keepers, who works on it also, he was like, I just want like you to add Gem Flipper and be done. It's like, I, I don't want you to have to like, like if you want to just do that, just to try it, you know, and just to tinker. Like as devs, we always want to install and try and like get a feel for things before we like give our email address away and like stuff like that. And so he was like, I just want like Gem Flipper to just work, you know, and then it's like from there you can go farther. So a lot of the engine stuff is just for creating initializers, for loading the default adapters, like it's that kind of stuff. And then if you want, you know, it'll mount the UI. And if you want, it'll... Mount Cloud and the Cloud Webhook, you know, uh, middleware and like stuff like that. But it's it's mostly just kind of laying the foundation for that of just kind of getting that stuff going. But so that's that's most of the engine. Um, and actually, the 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 UI is literally just rack middleware. It's not it's not even a Rails engine for the the views and stuff like that. This is I don't want to say it was before Rails engines, but it was before they were more common. And I was like, I want to support Sinatra and Hanami and everything else. So I was like, I'll just make it a middleware and go through a little bit of view rendering pain and stuff like that. So, I guess the question I have with that then is, can I secure it so that only admins can see it? Yep. So what we do is, what's this is this is when I had this like crazy inception moment where I was like, okay, rack middleware. I was like, I hadn't really used it a ton. I like added things here and there, but I was like. I really with Flipper got into like how does Rack middleware work? Because if you build like an actual app from scratch in Rack, like you have to learn things. You get nothing. You get strings. That's all you get, you know, with uh-huh. Rack. And so I'm I'm used to Railsland or like, you know, for a little while we all did a little Merb and then, you know, they merged and now we're back to Rails. Um so it's people like, won't know what you're talking about with Merb. I know, I know. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just trying to, you know, throw out my age. Uh but I was like you know, I'm used to that kind of stuff. So like Rack just had like nothing. And I was like, okay, how does this work? So I really got into it. And I realized like, I'm like, this is, Rack is amazing. It's so cool. It's like the ultimate adapter interface. And so like uh, how it works is, you know, it's just like uh, anything that like uses device, you know, you can you can kind of mount uh, device in front of things as like a middleware 
um, you, you know, for yourself, yeah. what you can do is you can, we have like, um, I'm trying to remember how it is. We have docs on it everywhere, but like you basically just, when you mount it, you mount it with a constraint. And so your constraint is like, you know, digs into the session, finds the user uh-huh. and says, does they have access? So that's the easiest way. Um, like I think device comes with constraints to do that kind of stuff. If you don't use device, which I don't on a lot of mine, um, then you just write your own constraint, which is also a really routing constraints are not that hard either. And they're basically just, they're really close to feeling like rack. And so you write that and you can, you know, say basically this is um, uh, true or false. And if it's false, then it, it doesn't let people into the UI. And if it's true, then it will. So it, it involves like people already having a session in your app and then you like, uh, like increasing their privilege for, for that, you know, request or whatever. Um, the other thing that we do too is so you can do that. And then we have a read only mode. So you can let people in just for reads to see things as well. And it like automatically takes away all the buttons and makes it so it wouldn't work if you try to fake it or any of that kind of stuff. Um, and so some of that's uh, more recent. So you can you can say, oh yeah, this is available for anyone, but it's only available in read-only mode or it's available for writes for these people, but you know reads for somebody else. Um, there's some mm-hmm. different ways you can kind of mess around with that kind of stuff too. But it's all rack. And that's the 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 really cool thing is again, it's just it's all rack middleware. And that's all cloud is. Cloud is just rack middleware with a whole bunch of stuff around it. So it's like if you look at the cloud routes file in the Rails app, it it mounts the flipper API. And the flipper API allows you to uh, add middleware before uh, before the actual rack app that serves the API. And so what we have is it's literally in, in that middleware is we just have like a set flipper from token middleware that says, get, go to the, you know, flipper underscore cloud underscore token HTTP header. And if that exists, if that doesn't exist, then deny. If it does exist, you know, try and find it in the database. If you can't deny, if they ha- don't have a subscription, you know, or deny or whatever, it just goes through like six or seven pre-checks. And then if it gets through all of those, it, then it goes into the API. Um, and that was like the most wild inception like ruby moment i feel like i've had when i was like it's like i have an open source gem and then i'm mounting the api from the open source gem inside of here but protecting it with this like rack middleware before and so they're like just this you know circle of like how they're working i thought i just i remember i was like you know how you get these moments where you're just like stoked you're just like Mm -hmm. whoa i just did something cool like that was that that rack middleware thing i was like i did something cool like i i I had to share it with friends. Like I, I recently uh, did that with something totally different, but yeah, it's like that moment uh, was really neat. So, yeah, I, I had a similar uh, thing with Rack, but also with Rake, uh, where you you know where all the tasks are dependent on each other and how that whole oh, dependency yeah. chain works, right? Like, uh, what that was a aha moment for me, and I was just like, wow, this is like incredible. <laughs> yeah, like how, how I, yep. easy of a build tool, like. <laughs> Yeah, to just be able to add a dependency to like a task that you didn't even define anytime you right. want. Like it's just yeah, it's really mind blowing. I have not gone deep into rake as much as rack. Um, outside of just writing a few tasks here and there, but mm-hmm. that's a really good point. I forgot about how rake works that way. So I'm I'm curious because like we haven't really div- dove into like uh you know the the code dependency aspects of features, right? Like uh you know, a feature can be spread like 
across code base like crazy, you know, mm-hmm. like, uh, so like, what, what are some good ways to like, <laughs> I guess, help consolidate? I know there are like architecturally <laughs> some things you could do to like keep things in a service or something like that, uh, mm-hmm. you know, but like, is there a better way to do this where like, okay, if, if you're just going to be a feature building machine, right. And <laughs> that's what our, all our companies are going to be. Like, is there a better way we can like encapsulate features in a way that would make it easier to toggle on and off? Yeah. So I, I think this is something, especially um, when you're, when you're new to them, like it's, it's a little more art than science, honestly, like um, Garrett uh, diamond's been working for us for six months or so. Um, on Flipper Cloud. And I remember that was like, he hadn't used feature flags before. And so like, as he started to use them, like he started to like, he was like, well, I don't really use feature flags because I don't need them. And then it was like, oh, okay. Like I'm, I'm starting to get how you guys use this. And then it was like, you know, Keanu Reeves, he took the red pill and he was like, oh my gosh, I'm using a feature flag for everything. And we're like, well, maybe not that, you know, like, and so there is this like, it's like, okay, well, what is the right entry point? for a flag. And it's not the exact same answer for everything. But I would say like, what I try to do is like, for the most part, I try to like limit it to like a couple uses, a a few key spots. So if you have like a good, let's just say search again. So if you have a flag, that's like a, a circuit breaker around search, so you can turn it off if like your search is not working for some reason or something like that. Um, what I would do is I would like have like a chunk that's around like, where that shows up in the UI. You know, you've got a form, a search box, like that kind of stuff. And I would have a flag there to kind of like hide it. And then I would say like, you know, from there, it's like, well, where else do we need to have it? So that's just like one use. So so you could go crazy and you could say, well, now put it, you know, all in in the controller. And if if it's not enabled, then return like a 404 or, you know, search is down right now, you know, 500 or, or whatever you want to do. And you could go into the model and you could say, well, you know, this, this model or this, you know, like you said, service or whatever has a flag. And if it's of, you know, off, then return these fake responses or you can go as far as you want to go. What I usually do is I, I try to find, try to limit it to like one or two uses in the code base because usually there's like, um, I don't know a better word. It sounds kind of aggressive, but there's like a choke point where like, like this is the point where you either have act like, access to it or you don't and you can kind of like just hide it at that point and like maybe you need to like be careful that people don't discover it because it's a new feature and you don't want people to know and so you you put a second one in the controller to say like like no i really don't want people to know this is here return a 404 don't like possibly work um but there's also these weird states where flags can be on and then you might turn it off but somebody had it on so the view got rendered and so sometimes if the view gets rendered, you do kind of want the controller to work. So again, it, it, there's not like a direct science. You just have to kind of look at the feature that you're working on and say like, what is the, like, how do I want the user to feel if this gets turned off in between? Or how do I, do I care if the user is able to somehow hack and use this? Um, and, and kind of go from there. It's probably not like the perfect like bow tie answer. And maybe smarter people than me have uh, like, Flunch Darkly might have better answers to that based on what customers are saying and stuff like that. But what I've found is like from from like uh, Steve, who is like our designer, and I work with mm-hmm. him also at Box Out. Myself, uh, Brandon, who used feature flags at GitHub forever, 
um, the three of us, like it's usually one or two spots. You can, you can actually do like the flipper.enabled question mark check and that'll get, get the job done in a good enough way. And then, you know, as when you're new, they kind of start to federate into like a lot of places. Um, what I would say is if that happens, so not even if you're new, but if, if that, that federation into like lots of parts in the app happens, then I usually wrap it up in like one spot. So like, again, this is, let's say search. So I would say, okay, like, let's just make like a module or a class or something that's like search. And we'll just have like search.enabled. It's just a facade in front of the feature flag. And that might not feel like it changes anything because you're still checking the feature flag. But again, it's all about choke points. And so that creates another choke point where you could say, if you don't, if you, you know, I always want search to be on in development. You could say, you know, return true if Rails env is mm-hmm. true or a development is true, or, you know, if this M variable is true, return true. Um, or if we're in production, then check the feature flag or like, it just gives you a little bit of like a facade in front and a point where you can kind of decide how do you want that to work? Um, so that's usually what I say if we, so like I did that for analytics. So I have a module in analytics that has like on Flipper Cloud, it has um, a UI enabled uh, question mark method. So def self dot, you know, UI enabled. And inside of there, and it takes a, an actor and inside of there just says flipper.enabled, you know, and it does maybe a few other small things. And so the, I just check analytics.ui enabled. And that's something that like it might hang around and I might keep that. We might have problems with stats. And if that gets turned off, then I'll show like stats are unavailable right now. And I think it's okay to have that kind of a thing. Um, you just, again, you just have to decide for each feature what kind of makes sense. And does that, does that, is that helpful or does that kind of make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. I I always have a you know it's always hard to to find where to consolidate everything right <laughs> especially yeah. if you're like is this even worth like being like feature flippable right like or do we just release it right like <laughs> that's another I feel good like question yeah so, sometimes there's even a point where okay it's too hard to make it like that let's just release it and if people don't use it we'll remove it <laughs> like revert yeah. to PR or something right uh, but I mean that doesn't happen I feel like as frequently. Um, but to this point, like, this is such a common pattern. And I I feel like I was very hopeful when I saw like GitHub's view components first come out, like, oh, like finally, Mm -hmm. you know, there'll be something like that can be encapsulatable. That is a a literal UI component. Uh, and like the, Mm -hmm. there's the answer potentially of, okay, do I want to like toggle this on for people, like target it, that specific view component for people, like, like you could do so many things when you just wrap up the feature like that uh, on the front end. But of course, like uh, on Rails, there's no like definitive, here's a view component, right? Like yep. it's a, you know, it, it's kind of like slowly just like breaking up and then coming back together with a new idea of what Rails thinks that should happen. Yeah. Uh, and now we're kind of like coming to back to like, okay, Rails cares about the front end. <laughs> but... <laughs> <laughs> Did you see the tweet from DHH? Which Which one? one? (laughs) The one about Rails 8 and how they want it to support all the front end stuff. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, like, just to my, you know, further to the point, like, uh, this seems like something should be, like, kind of baked into Rails, like a mechanism, not not Mm -hmm. necessarily use Flipper, right? But, like, the mechanism where, okay, wrap this thing on the front end. Like, we already have, like, the so many helpers, like a div or something right 
where it's like, okay, wrap this model or whatever thing. And then it's going to, you know, mark it with ID and like, you know, do all this other special stuff now where you can hook into action cable or whatever it may be. Right. Like, why not also like a, a, you know, a feature flag or analytics or something like that? Like, it seems like there's so much missed opportunity there. Like, yeah. Have you thought about like encapsulating that onto like a front endable like piece? Or yeah. is it more of just like, we're just going to focus on the analytics side? Well, I mean, we definitely have thought about it because like um, Box Out has a lot of React stuff in it, uh, especially like the graphic production. I mean, that's a screen where people are typing and they're updating their preview and trying to see, you know, the image that they're making and stuff like that. And so like we have some things that we do, but I feel like, again, I, what works for small teams and what works for bigger teams is not always the same. And so that's been the tricky thing. And also, like you said, with with Rails, a lot of this stuff isn't standardized to the point that like, you know, some people use ERB, some people use... I mean, I think people still use Haml and Slim and like other templating things. Okay, there we go. That's okay. I forgive you. I and, you know... <laughs> <laughs> uh, but like... You know, there's again. We were talking about it before the show. I just use defaults. I'm I'm like a I'm I love defaults. So I use Safari. I use all the board. You know, I just just started to customize some stuff. But I, I just hate tracking down the close tags. That is tough. Yeah, VS Code makes it a little bit easier these days. But uh, sometimes, yeah, yeah. And sometimes it doesn't because it doesn't have great ERB support. So. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is because there's no standard. I think the more standardized things are, the easier it is. So it's easier to start building things on top of like, for example, like we have great support for like memoizing um, network calls in Flipper for the duration of a request because Rack is this, prol- you know, everywhere standard. So like I can make a middleware and then I build it into Flipper and like you'll never do more than one or whatever you know, network calls and we can automatically inject it by default using a Rails engine and we can do all this kind of stuff. Like I don't really have that same thing. Like I now have it with Active Job, which is cool. But even like three or four years ago, even when it was early and new and stuff like that, it was like, oh well here's a sidekick middleware and here's a delayed job middleware and here's like the and you you get it gets difficult to support all those things. And so I think we're starting to see some of this like standardization come into Rails. And I think that's a good thing. Um, so like active job now it's like oh yeah I can definitely make a flipper you know module to in, a concern to mm-hmm. to automatically throw in there so that your you know flipper features are memoized for the duration of like a job so you're not re-requesting the same feature if you check it three times but you know views and front end oh my gosh I mean first off like I don't even do I've I don't do a lot of that anymore I do a little I I love Bootstrap it gives me where I need to go. And, you know, I, I do like HTML, obviously, and stuff like that. I started as more of a front end HTML, CSS. I literally taught a course on JavaScript at the University of Notre Dame in like 2008, 2009 for like a couple of years. Now I'm like, I don't know how to yarn. I don't know where my app.json is. What is this <laughs> other thing? Like, I'm, it has changed so much in the last 10 years that like, you know, we're starting to get some standards with like, you know, whatever, Vue, uh, Ember, React. There's a few like winners, I guess. And and I saw yeah, a meme yeah, the other day that was like, what was that? It's Tailwind. And then you've got Hotwire Stimulus, which kind of yep. slides in as a, it's not a default, but it's pretty close. Yep, it is. Yeah. 
And, you know, I, uh, like the, the meme I saw the other day was like, uh, oh, I hate React. And then it was like, tries all the other front ends. And then it was like, I hate React the least or something along those <laughs> lines, you know, it's like, like, yeah, there's just not, you know, no one's maybe like yeah. loves any of it. So as a backend dev, I definitely don't. And I don't know what the answer is. We have written like a couple posts of like, here's some ideas on what to do of like how to pass your flags through. Um, I don't have any automatic wrapped up, you know, nice ways. I like the view component idea. I've been following flex and view components. Um, I haven't used either of them, but I like, I like the idea, but it's also tough sometimes to get, you know, sometimes the front end people want to write the HTML. They don't want to write Ruby. So there's always this balance. And I, I honestly, I don't have the right answer. That's my really long and kind of like, I don't have the right answer. Um, what we're trying to do is like at least explain the way we do things. And then hopefully that's helpful. And anytime we find what other people are doing, we try to share that as well. And we try to make those available in the, like our docs and stuff so that um, it, there's at least this is what some people are doing. You know, you get a little bit of a sense. But yeah, we don't have anything. The farthest I've thought is like, oh, yeah, I, I mean, I love flags. So I could totally see like an active action, whatever module that's like active you know flipping or flag or i don't know whatever something like that you know someday i could see that but i don't know if people even want that or you know i have no idea so i I have a couple more questions on just how to use flags in general yeah um one of the things that you were talking about is you know you can set the flags for kind of everything um so when do you go with the kind of check where it's um, you know, if the user's an admin versus having a feature flag that maybe yeah. is long live that does that. Yeah. That you guys are coming with the hard hitters, man. This is yeah, it's these are the these are the tough ones. Um, so you know, I honestly authorization and in feature flags, I don't know if everybody agrees on this, but like in my mind, they're like really close. And I actually sometimes again when you're a carpenter, you know, every nail needs a hammer, whatever. I don't know what the saying Mm -hmm. is, but like I use, you know, flags for permissions sometimes. Like I, and I am okay with that. I sleep at night, you know, as well as probably any other 40 year old does. So like, I think you can do that. I think what we, what we do is we have, we use Pundit uh, for authorization. We have uh, classes and policies around that. Uh, I wrote a post. Actually, I, that's the thing I think we talked about the last time I was on the show, like a year or two ago, was like a bunch of hacks on top of Pundit that I did. Action Policy now exists and has like a lot of those things in it. I think it even existed at the time and I just was stupid and didn't know it. But like, there is this fine line where you're like, which is this? Is this authorization or is this flags? What I will say is sometime, some we try to wrap things up in an authorization policy and use the flag inside of there. So authorization policy is the superset and a flag is a subset that you might use to to turn that policy on and off. That's how we tend to do it. But we don't necessarily like, you know, force or encourage anybody else to do it that way because some people just put flipper.enabled all over the place. Like if you look in our app, a lot of the flipper enabled calls will be in a policy somewhere. Mm-hmm. But not everybody uses those, not everybody ha- I mean in Boxout they're all over the place. Like, cause we didn't put that, we didn't have that. It's an older app. It's nine, 10 years old. It didn't have that core structure of like, this is where authorization related things go. 
Flipper is newer. It does have that. And so that's, you know, where those things go. And I can live with, you know, that being different, but it is very close. What I even do on some small apps, I have a couple of apps where I have like an administration area and you can create pages or posts or, or things like that. And I have a fe- feature called administrators. And I add myself as an actor to that. And now I can say, and then I add in class user, def admin question mark, flipper.enabled administrator self. And now I have, is this user an admin or not? And as long as you know, you wouldn't want to then enable that for everyone because now everyone's an admin, that would be bad. But the nice thing is like, you know, in Flipper Cloud, I can put a description. I'm obviously like, uh, I literally wrote the system. So I'm a skilled user. I know that this can only be enabled in this way. In the description, I can say only use it in this way. We've been talking about maybe adding some strict, more stricter things to Flipper where you can say, don't allow these gates to be used for these flags if you don't want to pass an actor or if you always want to require an actor be passed. So I think there's a lot of, of overlap. And I've talked quite a bit with uh, Oso HQ. I don't know if you guys have ever seen Oso. It's really interesting. Okay, some shaking. Um, we've talked quite a bit because like they started as like all local, like no sync. And we started as all sync, you know, with, with local also. And I was like, why, why don't you guys sync? And they're like, well, I don't know if people really want to change like authorization at runtime. And now they've started going down that path of like, you know, syncing, like, and, and doing, changing things at runtime and stuff like that. And I'm like, I think, I don't know, maybe it's just me, but like, I want to be able to change as much as possible at runtime, as long as there's a way to like roll back and as long as there's a way to know when it happened and who did it. And, and correlate those things. Like that's the key part of it for me. As long as there's controls to do that, then I don't really care. So there's a lot of overlap. Um, when I pick one or the other, it probably depends on the seriousness and like how much money is involved if something goes wrong. Um, that's probably more more how I decide, I guess. Um, the other question I have is it seems like... So I can see putting feature flags on parts of the UI, right? Mm-hmm. It seems like you've talked quite a bit about views. I could see it even showing up in the controllers a little bit where it's, hey, look, you can't circumvent not having the UI and call some controller action, you know, somewhere. Yep. Is that, are those the most likely scenarios or are there other places where you would use feature flags that I'm just not thinking of at the moment? Yeah, those are really common ones, but I mean, we we do them in a lot of different places. So like when we were first, you know, when we had webhooks, um, we, we rolled out webhooks with, uh, behind a flag and made it so that we could disable them at some point. Like if we all of a sudden get like a, a bomb of a bunch of changes and a bunch of jobs getting queued and, you know, we want to have them process really fast and not actually do the HTTP request, you know, we can disable disable webhooks and the, the jobs will just, you know, no op and go really fast. So they definitely can go into other spots. Like I feel like the highest point in any given... So like if, when I say transaction, I just mean like, not a database specific transaction, but a, like uh, a thing that happens. So a job would be like a transaction, a, re- a web request would be a transaction. Like you want to do it ideally kind of the highest up in the stack that you can, because that's the least surface area that you have to put it in. Um, if you have to put it in, you know, down in the model or in, in things like that, it'll start to proliferate around a little bit more. And that's where I think the facade, like putting some kind of facade in front to just say like, you know, that, that will kind of help so that it doesn't end up all over the code, you get a more like static place where you define it and and how you use it and stuff like that. Um, but there's definitely, I mean, we have a bunch. I would say like the circuits are like a good example, like that we use for like 
switching email service provider or switching, you know, stuff like that. Those are places where they end up a lot more deeply nested in. Um, there's probably I could probably go through Flipper and like find other examples of like ones where we did that. And so I would say probably tipped 70, 30 or something in my experience. So like UI versus like more backend code. Does that is that kind of what you're lo- looking at or what you're thinking about? Yeah, a little bit. I think some of this is just going to wind up be being me putting these in and then going, oh, using it that way was a mistake. Or, <laughs> wow, I wish I'd had this in this other project to do it here and just, you know, it's not what I'm thinking about because I, I don't have a ton of experience with feature flags. Well, I can give you like a bunch of little examples. So like, I mean, if I'm like looking at BoxOut, BoxOut has like a new campaign feature. It's like a way to uh-huh. like pick an event and you hit a button and you get like, here's a Twitter, here's a social graph, you know, three different social media graphics. Here's a sandwich board that you can print with a QR code to buy tickets at the at the event, you know, all that kind of stuff. So that's like a rollout type you know, thing. So it's like, it's a new thing. You're going to roll it out. You like it. Okay. Now we remove all the flag stuff and it's gone. We have like create graphics as a feature flag. So that's like, is our graphic creation down or not? So by default, it is enabled. If we have problems with uh, like certain like, you know, render servers or things like that. And for some reason it is just fully all the way down. I can hit that button and it switches and it says, you know, graphic creation is down right now. You know, check on Twitter for updates or stuff like that. We have um, most of our JavaScript. That's cool. Like external JavaScripts are on feature flags. That way, like Google Analytics, Plausible, um, Crisp, like anything that we use, like Help Scout that has like a widget or something like that. I always put those behind a flag. That way, if they're down or they're not working, they're not, you know, again, ideally, they're not. Uh, delaying things and you've probably deferred and asynced and all that kind of stuff. But there's Uh still situations where it can be a pain. Um, When we switched from delayed job to good job, we used uh, the job class name as the flipper ID. And so we literally moved over to a new job system, uh, like one or two jobs at a time. Um, We have like a, a post on how to do that with active jobs. So you you can basically use Flipper to change the queue adapter at runtime for any given job. So it's a really safe way to migrate, you know, whatever, not, not tons of jobs, but let's say millions in a day or something from one job system to another job system without, without having any downtime or any outages or, or any fear at all. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are good examples. Like some other things that we do are like we did a rebrand on BoxOut and redid all of the views. So we literally made like a new, we have app views and like that was like our current design and we made like a V2 folder and just started slowly, you know, working on a section at a time. You know, it's got whatever, I want to say 50, 100 controllers in there. So one section at a time, we would just get it working and we would have it enabled for staff and it would fall back to the, you know, the old views when it's kind of a more of a one-to-one redesign and you're literally just making things look different with different HTML and different assets and stuff mm. works great. So that was really cool. Like that's a good example of like of doing that. Um, reporting JS errors to Honey Badger. Uh, once in a while, you know, you start spraying like crazy and you're just you I mean we ate through our entire Honey Badger, you know, limit in like a like an hour one time because somebody I deployed something that. and tons of people, yeah. So like we put that uh, reporting of JS errors behind a flag. If it happens again, we just hit the flag. We don't have to like 
you know, we can stop and, and not go through our limit. Um, so that's a nice thing. Um, admin dev tools, admin reports, like those are things that we use. Rack Mini Profiler, like whether or not Rack Mini Profiler shows up, it's based on a feature flag. So if it's enabled, then it'll show up for you. And if it's not, then it won't. Um, that allows it to be on not for all of the staff. Like sales doesn't want to see it. They don't want it on. So mm-hmm. I don't have to have like a dev you know, group or things like that. Um, so like a lot of these things, there's, uh, there's tons of other things that I use it for as well. Um, but I would say those are like some of the common ones, at least like on, on Box Out and Flipper and stuff like that. Very cool. Well, um, I have an appointment at 2 and it snowed like five inches overnight last night. So I don't know how long it's going to take me to get across town. No so I'm going to push this into picks. Um, if people want to learn more about Flipper or if they want to reach out to you about some of this other stuff, uh, maybe see you know where you're at with Flipper Cloud and whether or not they can use that. How, how do they find all that stuff? Yeah, so I, I'm johnnunemaker.com, uh, at jnunemaker on pretty much everything. And then uh, flippercloud.io is the domain for that. And boxhousesports.com is the other one. So um, all of those are all available. And you know, I'm I'm always open for Zooms. I don't get Zoom burnout because small team and work for myself. So I'm up yeah. I'm for, up for chatting. All right, very cool. Well, um, I'm going to go ahead and push us to picks. Then Valentino, do you want to start us off? Uh sure. Uh, one of my coworkers brought up that a uh, wise poignant guide has a soundtrack. Uh, no, I did really? not know that. <laughs> and uh, when looking it up, uh, the, the Thirsty Cups came up uh, from RailsConf 2006. And uh, it is like the kind of the most incredible talk I've ever seen uh, from Why the Lucky Stiff. And uh, there's a performance by the Thirsty Cups. So I'll, I'll share that here. It, it is like, it's so entertaining. <laughs> nice. I might have to check that out. Um, I'm going to go ahead and throw some picks out now. Uh, as I usually do, I'm going to pick a board game first. Actually, this one's a card game. Um, I don't know if you guys are big fans of Disney. Um, in this house, Disney is, (laughs) it's a go-to. We we love it. So, um, man, I just can't get over wise poignant guide having a soundtrack. Anyway, um, so we... For Christmas, we got a, a card game. Um, it's called Disney, uh, what is it, Chronology? And um, hold on, I'm trying to pull the thing up. But anyway, uh, it's a really simple game, actually. So you start with uh, three cards in front of you, and they all have a month and a year on them. I guess some of them don't have a month on them. Some of them just have a year on them. But what you do then is you pull a card and you read it to the person to your left. And then they try and guess where in their chronology it fits at the beginning, at the end, or between two of the mm-hmm. cards. And um, if they get it wrong, then the next person in the queue can guess it, right? And so if they fit it into their chronology properly, then you know, then they get the card. And when you get to 10 cards, you win. And so you just move around the, you know, the the circle of people playing and each take a turn playing chronology. And uh, yeah, so it takes like 20 minutes, I guess, to play. And um, we've really enjoyed it. And sometimes you get lucky with the way that things fit together. So for example, 
Um, one time we played, I had like a 1954 and a 1955. And so if I'd gotten anything in kind of the middle of the 50s, it would have been hard to place. But I didn't. I kept getting things that were like 2008 or 1993. <laughs> and that's real easy. It's after 1955, right? Um, and so anyway, that that was a lot of fun. We really, really enjoyed that. Um, and it's simple enough to where, you know, my younger kids can play. Now, you, typically, they're not getting them right because, you know, they're not as up to date on the classic Disney dates. But um, we really, really enjoyed it. Right. And it goes all the way back to like uh, Walt Disney and uh, what's his brother's name? You know, they founded the the Disney Brothers Animation Studios, right? And then uh, they changed the name to Walt Disney Studios. And, and anyway, it, it's cool stuff. Um, one of the Disney trips that I want to take actually is one of these days to head out. I think it's near St. Louis where where the Disney Brothers started their thing uh, to go see if there's anything out there to see. I don't, I don't know if there is or not, but I think that'd be cool. Eventually, you know, they moved their operation to California and then... Uh, moved a big chunk of it to Florida when they put together Disney World. But anyway, it is a super fun game. Really, really enjoy uh, playing that with family. Um, beyond that, um, honestly, my wife's been or my life's just been complete bedlam the last few weeks. Um, so I don't know if I have any other picks. Um, but yeah. Uh, I'll, I guess I'll throw it over to you, John. You have some picks for us? Sure. I mean, I didn't have any picks ready, but you guys you guys got my brain going. Um, we've been playing. We just started getting into games a lot too because my son is eight and my daughter's mm-hmm. five. So she's still a little bit young for most of the games that are you know fun for adults. But we've been playing uh, Kings in the Corner. I had never played that before. It's a card game. You can look it up and get the instructions. It's really fun. It's like solitaire on like different levels um, for like a, a group of people. So that's been really fun. And then we got this like dice rolling Monopoly game. Uh, and it's really fun because you can you play to like 15,000. It's just the first person that gets there. And there's like, it's all just dice. It's like eight different dice with all the different cards. And you try to get houses and stuff. And it's like a really fast version of Monopoly. And that's been really fun too. Um, so those are the games if we're going to do games. And I'm not a game person at all. Like I'm not one for chance. Um, but those are fun. I, I'll play them anytime. And then um, picks on the code side, um, I've been looking at open telemetry a lot. And there's like a bunch of Ruby gems around that. And somehow I just like, as much as I love tracing and performance, just did not know anything about any of those and how they exist and what they're capable of. And so I've been playing with that stuff a lot and definitely check those out. Really cool. So those would be my two uh, picks that come to mind. And then the last thing is a super note. I love super note. So e-ink, tablet, if you love writing, it writes like real pen. It's fantastic. I got it about a month or two ago and I've been obsessed with it. So nice. Very cool. Um, well, we'll go ahead and wrap it up. Thanks for coming, John. This was a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we'll go ahead and like I said, wrap it up here till next time, folks. Max out.